What's up, church? Good morning. morning. Come on, give God a hand. Praise early. (laughs) It is good to be in God's house. I was going to say how excited I am to just kick it with you guys and and to be able to share God's word uh, with you all. Um, Oh, what? I got so much stuff to say. Let me see how I get to this. Um, For those of you watching online, I pray that the Lord will bless you mightily and that you may be moved by the Spirit of God. So I am excited to be sharing um, God's word on this morning. Um, I thank Dr. Anderson for giving me this opportunity. It's always a blessing to, um, number one, that he would even entrust me. It's an honor for me. Um, Doc, if you're watching, I, I just want you to know I love you. I honor you. And I appreciate all the love that you have given me all these years, man. It's been good to be in God's house, and it's been good to be part of this community. So today, I have the assignment of talking to you on the message entitled Divine Disruption. Divine Disruption. And the subtitle is, When Jesus Christ disrupts your life, and changes everything. Let's pray. Holy God, I just pray that you may move mightily in our life. Talk to us. Use me, dear God, to communicate your gospel effectively and efficiently. Give me the words, Lord, so that I may connect with people's hearts. This is your words, Lord. I will pray like John the Baptist said, that I may decrease so that you may increase. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So quickly turn with me right there wherever you're at to John chapter 4, 1 through 5. You can go ahead and click it or whatever or just write it down and you can go through it. There's a lot of verses in this story, so I'm not going to read every single verse. But I need to read the first few 15 verses still because I need to give it a context. So this is John chapter 4, verse 1, and we go forward. This is the story of the Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't he who was doing the baptism, doing the baptizing, but the disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground of Jacob, Uh, He had given to his sons, Joseph. Uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus name. So the story of the Samaritan woman is very familiar. I'll confess I've never preached about this text ever in my whole life, but I know every single detail about the story because I probably have heard a million sermons. I'm exaggerating, but I've heard a lot of sermons on it. But what caught my attention as I prepared for this, for this message was how Jesus disrupted her day. That caught my attention. This story is a story of a woman who, who remained nameless. We do not know her name. Throughout the entire scripture, you do not know who she is. But what you do know is that she had a divine disruption by Jesus Christ in the middle of her day. In just those free, few brief moments, Jesus transformed her life forever. The Bible, both New and Old Testaments, are, are, are full of stories of divine disruption. Moses, David, Noah, Paul, Peter, Jacob, and the list goes on just to mention a few. A divine disruption is when God shows up in the middle of your situation or circumstance, in the middle of your brokenness or frustrations, and transforms the trajectory of your life. Listen, one second with God in the presence of God is greater than a lifespan of anything else. I don't care if it's money, fame, therapy, vacations, family, whatever it is, it, one second with God is more valuable than anything else. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 84.10, Better is one day in his courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He says, you know what? If all I get to do is to be a servant in God's house, oh, man, that's better than a lifespan. That's better than anything else in the world. This woman had an opportunity. She, she, she had a divine uh, uh, moment with God. And God used that moment to transform her trajectory. Now, who was the Samaritan woman, we ask? Thanks for asking. Like I said earlier, through the entire Bible, you don't know her story. You don't know her name. All you know is where she's from, and all you know is her lifestyle. That's it. Where she's from and her lifestyle. The first thing to notice about this, when you, when you, when you study the, like the historical context and cultural and traditions of those days, then there's obviously more about the story than where she's from and, and her lifestyle. But, but that's all we see in actual letters. The first thing to notice is that she was considered a social outcast. Getting water from the well was a group venture. All the women would get together and they would either go early in the morning or later in the evening when the sun went down and it was a little cooler in the day. And that's the time that, she, that they would go. But she went by herself in the middle 
of the day. It says, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, she wasn't part of a network. She wasn't part of a group. She wasn't part of an affiliation. She was there by herself. And Jesus said to her, give me water. She was considered a social outcast. The next thing to notice about this woman is that she was blind, spiritually blind. When Jesus talked to her, he says, and she starts asking, she couldn't even comprehend what he was talking about. And Jesus says, if you only knew. (laughs) I love that statement because it's almost like God knows who he is and what he has to offer. He tells this woman, if you only knew. Listen, she was so blind that the Messiah, Jesus, was literally in front of her and she didn't realize that, that it was he. And the reason I share that with you is because sometimes in our spiritual blindness, God can be doing something in our lives and we don't realize that he's actually active and moving and doing something for us at the time. And then the third thing to notice about this woman is that she was a sinful person. Consider this. According to the narrative, she had been with at least six different men. And most recent, the one that was with her was not her husband. Now, people always bash this woman, and that's not what I'm going to do. I wanted to point the historical context so that we can comprehend what God actually did at this time. And besides, I'm nobody to bash anybody because I have my own version of the Samaritan story in here. But what I really wanted to talk, I remember one time I was talking to a friend of mine, and particularly we were talking about King David, and my friend says, oh, I really can't accept the words of King David in Psalms or his story or whatever. And I was like, why? And he was like, because he didn't have integrity. And, and because he didn't have the credibility to say half of the stuff that he said. And I remember my response to him, this is where you got it all wrong. I said, because the story has nothing to do with David. The story has everything to do with the God that saved David. And so this story, even though we mentioned the Samaritan woman and what God did in her life, the truth of the matter is that her past is irrelevant. The truth of the matter is that her brokenness is irrelevant. It's it's, it's irrelevant to us as humans. It's not irrelevant to God because God sees our brokenness and God sees our situation. and, And he still is engaged and involved in people's situation. But the truth of the matter That if you become self-righteous and all you want to do is point out everything that's bad about this woman is you're missing the point. Because the point has nothing to do with her. The point has everything to do with Christ. There are several manifestations of Christ in this story. And I wanted to share just a few of them with you so that we can understand what Christ did. The first manifestation is Christ's or his divine assignment. Listen to this in verse 4. In verse 4 it says, Now he who, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Now, like the great theologian that I am, I went to Google. And I looked at Google Maps to try to understand the geography of the situation. I, like, I look at different things when I'm preparing God's word because anything can actually come up to you, right? So if you look at Google Map, you realize that he had to go through Samaria no matter what. It was on his way. 
So why, if it was on his way, why did Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria? So I live in Owings Mills, Maryland. Right now, I'm in Columbia, Maryland. I have to go through Catonsville to get to my house. So it's almost like me automatically saying, I have to go through Catonsville. But, but, but why are you making an emphasis on I have to go through Samaria? This is a divine assignment. Now, look, if you understand the Jewish tradition, Jewish people in those days, they would actually, whenever they had to go through Samaria, they would actually deviate east and they would take a longer route because they didn't want to interact with Samaritan people. So, so when Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria, the culture was he didn't have to go through Samaria. Yes, from a geographical perspective, from a geography perspective, yes, he had to go through Samaria. But according to traditions and custom, he was supposed to deviate and go in another direction because they did not interact with Samaritan people. But for some reason or another, Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria. There is somebody over there who needs me. There is somebody over there who I have an assignment for. There is somebody over there who, who needs to experience my power and my glory. I have to go through Samaria. This trip was more than just getting to his destination. He realized in the middle of this that he had to go through a different place. Like I said earlier, Jewish didn't interact with Sumerians. When Jesus had to do this, he understood that there was a divine assignment. I have to go to Samaria. In other words, there's someone in need that I need to go and see. This trip was more than just getting to my destination, but it has a higher design. Jesus knew what caught my attention is that Jesus knew the exact time and the exact location of where this woman would be. And that catches my attention because God knows exactly where you're at. And we need to realize that because sometimes, you know, we get in our humanness and whatever our humanness is, our brokenness, our situation, whatever. And we, 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 we interpret our practical situation as real when the truth of the matter is that what we're going through is just part of the process for God's divine order. That's it. At the end of the day, even in your brokenness, that's why scripture says that all things work together for good. That's also why, why scriptures, well, Paul says, I've learned to rejoice in trials and in tribulation. Even hatred, even brokenness, even difficult situations, everything has a divine assignment. Everything has a divine plan. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against spirituality. The truth of the matter is that the church is not physical. The church is spiritual. That's why buildings can't hold us down, because God is greater than any buildings. You can put every building together and it's still not enough to hold the presence of God. When Jesus looks at this woman, he's not looking at her present situation. He's looking at her divine purpose. When Jesus looks at you, he's not looking at what you see right now. You know, I think about, remember the story when 
Jesus, I'm, I'm fast forwarding because of time. Jesus talks to, to, uh, uh, to Peter, and he says, well, well who, who do they say I am? And they say, you all, some say that you are Elijah, the prophet. Some people say this, some people say that. And then, and then, and then he says, but who do you say I am? And the person says, well, you are the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, blessed are you because this was revealed to you by God and not by man. And then he talks about, and on this rock, I will build my church. You know that story. You know what's interesting to me about that scripture? Literally a few chapters Later, Peter denies Christ. So, so, so you are calling something into existence in my life, knowing all my brokenness, knowing all my issues, knowing everything that I'm going through and will go through, and you still have a calling and you still go ahead and reach out to me. Why? Because there is divine purpose. Jeremiah 1.5, which we all know, it says, before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Divine assignment before you was even born. You know what that means is before mommy and daddy had an interaction. God already knew you. What it's saying is that before you was in your mommy's womb. God already Knew you. Divine assignment. That's why when people um, feel less about themselves or they feel like they should have no existence or they have low self-esteem or whatever the situation may be, it's only because you don't realize God's design for your life. Because when you understand God's design, then you realize that everything that was about you, even those extra five pounds, Oh, they be used for the glory of God. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Divine assignment. Listen, nothing just happens by chance or coincidence. Jesus has you on his mind. He will do whatever he has to do in order to get your attention. Divine assignment. This is probably the reason why sometimes you toss and turn in the middle of the night and you can't sleep. It's probably because your soul knows that there's greatness inside of you and you're not fulfilling it. Maybe this is the reason why you, 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 you do different things and you're never satisfied. You still have brokenness. You still have thirst. You still have hunger. Something is missing, right? The scripture says it's almost like putting money in pockets with holes in them. They will never be enough. The second manifestation of Jesus in this verse or in the scripture is his divine pursuit. Now, I mentioned earlier that the normal time to draw water was in the morning or in the evening during the cooler hours of the days. Uh, this is also, by the way, I didn't mention this earlier, is did you know that Jesus traveled all night? When I looked at Google, this is what I learned. You know, if in Google you can put a bus route, a walking route, a vehicle route, an airplane route. So I put a walking route because I want to get an idea because, you know, Jesus didn't have a car back in those days. Did you know that Jesus 
And this is now based on today. I would imagine it's longer because of hills and because of so many other things. But right now, if you left, if you did the same walk that Jesus did, it would have been between 12 and a 15-hour walk. That meant that if he saw this woman in the middle of the day at noon, that meant he must have started walking around midnight. All through the night. So the normal time of the, of to, to, to get water was in the day or in the evening because the sun was too strong. And for some reason or another, Jesus says, I need to walk all night. I need to get to my destination. I need to do whatever I have to do because I need to be there by noonish. You like the way I did that, right? Noonish. He says, this woman is coming to draw water at a time when there was nobody else around. Why did she do that? Maybe it was her shame, you see? People during the noontime. So this is what's funny. So I come from the countryside of Puerto Rico, right? And when I read this story, and I read it in another version, it says the sixth hour, uh, that, he, that she got here the sixth hour. So immediately I went to my concordance, and I went into looking at commentaries and things like that to see what it says. And one commentary said that this must have been at whatever time it was. And instantly, I knew that was not the case. The, not because theologically I, I, I had a revelation, but because I come from Puerto Rico, and I know that people don't do nothing in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day, people stay in the AC. They try to get out of the situation because it's too hot. And so here we see, so instantly I knew it. Then I studied other commentaries, and I realized that this was around noonish. And then it made me realize that, that, th- there was, that this woman was coming at a time when there was nobody around. Perhaps she was ashamed. Perhaps this was a lifestyle. Perhaps she just wanted to stay away from people. But somewhere or another, Jesus disrupted her day. He had to walk all night, like I said. He had to deal with whatever he had to deal with. By the time he gets to this woman, it's hot. I don't know if you've ever been in a hot sun. I just was in Israel not uh, about a year. Well, I was going to say not long ago, but it was right before COVID. So it was at least two years ago. And when that sun beams, it hits. And so what's interesting to me is that if you studied kind of just natural stuff, and the Bible doesn't say this, but it's natural. When you are in the sun that, that long, your, your throat is dry. Your lips are, are, are all chapped and broken. You probably have a suntan. Your, your eyes are tough because you've been in front of that sun all day. Yes, they covered their head, but still, could you imagine? But no, nothing would stop Jesus to get to his destination. What's interesting to me about this story is that it says that she has had five husbands, the next one six, and the one that you have now is not your own. What's interesting to me about this is that she had been with six different, sorry, I'm like bro man from the fifth floor. (laughs) She had been with six different men and there was nobody there to help her. Think about that. What do you do when you pour yourself out on either people or things and nothing really turns out the way you had hoped for? You have tried relationships. You have tried addictions. You have gone to therapy. You have taken medication. You have read all the books. You've been to all the different conferences and you're still thirsty on the inside. Says that she had been with six men. Now, again, back to my Puerto Rican routes. 
I see a woman carrying a jar of water. I'm jumping in to help. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, woman, thou art too loose. Taking water in the middle of the day, putting me out here in the sun. But I will help. But here we are, six men and nobody available to help her. See, Jesus broke all the rules of normality because he knew something about this woman that she didn't know about herself. The third manifestation, which is where I want to kind of focus on a little bit, is his divine disruption. It says, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus disrupted her day. He showed up at the most inopportune time. He threw a monkey wrench in the conversation. Now, why do I, why do I call it a divine disruption? So let me tell you something about me. I don't know if you ever heard of strengths finders, but I am what's called an executor, which basically means I get things done. Now, that's the good part. I get things done. Employers love me because I get things done. The bad part about getting things done is I don't have time for small talk. I do not like hallway conversations, small talk. It just drives me crazy. I'm always on the go, on a mission. I got to get things done. That's me. I, I'm, I like good conversations, but not the little small talk. That doesn't do good for me. I stay away from people from small talk. I do that at the gym. People think at the gym that I'm rude because I don't talk to nobody at the gym. I'm there. To, I got a mission. I'm wearing my, my earphones, and I'm just trying to get things done. I don't talk. Not long ago, I was going to Baltimore's, and the squeegee boys got me. And I remember I was so frustrated because I have to go to a certain destination. I haven't got time for this. Many years ago, I, I, so I, I don't know if I ever shared the story, but so I'm a Teen Challenge graduate, which is a Christian drug rehabilitation program. And this is 30 years ago when I went to this program. And when I got there, I remember I was, I was locked up in Ponce, Puerto Rico, in La Cuchara, and they told me um, they was going to send me to Teen Challenge, and the, guy, and the inmates told me, oh, it's, this is a wrap, because once you get to Teen Challenge, it's not a prison. You can literally walk out the gate and go home, and nobody will whatever catch you. So that was my plan. My plan was going to be, I'm going to go to Teen Challenge, and as soon as the police officer drops me off, I'm out. I'm walking. I'm running away because I was court-mandated. But God didn't allow that to be that way. So this is what happens. So when I get to Teen Challenge, I got handcuffs, shackles. Can't remember. I remember I got out of the truck like this. Right? I finally got to, my, to the, the registration office where you have to go sign up and whatever. And the detective that took me there had forgotten his keys. So he says, oh, what am I going to do? Because he couldn't have the keys to lose me. He says, well, I'm going to have to drive you back, which was a couple hours drive. And so the pastor at Teen Challenge at the time, he used to have a sermon that he used to preach entitled, uh, uh, Cristo rompe las cadenas. You felt that, right? I know you did. I know you did. Jesus breaks the chains. And he used to have a key that he used to, when in the middle of his sermon, he had handcuffs and he would just kind of, and there was people would all fall down, start crying, the Holy Ghost would fall, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was planning to leave. The, 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 the pastor says, we could try my key to see what happened. Now, you got to remember, I don't know God. I don't know Christ. I don't, I've never been to church at that point. I don't, I don't have no convictions, no religious, no spirituality. I was just sinful, broken, full of hatred. But I remember that instantly when he put those keys in my uh, handcuffs and he opened them, 
because it actually opened, the Spirit of God spoke to me. <gasps> I didn't even know it was the Spirit of God. And he said to me, this is the place that I'm going to break the chains of your past. I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense because I don't know, but Jesus came and disrupted my plans. I was hot. I was mad because I couldn't run away now. God did not allow me to run away. You can rest assured that when God disrupts your plan, he will make it worth your while. This woman was trying to stay under the radar. She was trying to keep a low profile. She just wanted to get water and get out. She was hiding from everybody. But God had a divine disruption for her. He says, I see her and I need to disrupt the situation. Psalm says, where should I go from your spirit or where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Take, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand should lead me. Your right hand should hold me. You know what God is saying is, what, what, what the psalmist is saying, I can't. I can't run, but I can't hide. There was this great philosopher named Martha Rees in the Vandellas. And they had a song that says, there's nowhere to run to, baby. There's nowhere to hide. Everywhere I go, your face I see. Every step I take, you take with me. No? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can't hide, you can run, but you can't hide. So somehow or another, God will find you. God will disrupt your day simply because he has a plan for your life. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his footsteps. Perhaps the reason you're not able to, to sleep, like I said earlier, is because your soul knows that there's something greater inside of you. Perhaps the reason why you tried different partners with no success is that you, that the only one that can truly quench your thirst is Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're looking in all the wrong places. Jesus answered this woman and he said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give, this stuff right here, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water. I'm producing eternal life. Jesus was willing to be viewed as a beggar just to get her attention. In her mind, she was just going to get some water. But in Jesus' mind, he was going to get her. Jesus is looking for you right now. Jesus is talking to you right now. I want you to know that he is pursuing you. He wants you. There's a purpose for God in your life. This is probably why you probably struggle with whatever it is that you're struggling with. Because your soul knows that something is missing. There's a piece of the puzzle that's not connecting. And then the fourth thing, and I'm wrapping it up, is the fourth manifestation is God's 
divine gift. He tells her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You know what it says when you, read, when you research that? It says when he says, if you, if you knew the gift of God, what he was basically saying is, I am the gift. And right now I'm here to give you me. God is telling her, I am the gift of God. You know what John 3.27 says? A person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. So everything you think you have is given to you from heaven. And God is here to give you a gift. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He says, I am the gift. And Jesus wants to gift you right now with his presence. Whatever it is in your sickness, in your brokenness, in your spiritual blindness, in your thirstiness, in your full of your anger and full of your hate and your grief and your confusion. And whatever it is, God is trying to capture your attention and he's trying to change your trajectory. So how did this woman respond? Number one, she stayed in the conversation. Instead of running, she dealt with it. She faced it. The reason I say that is because many of us run and ignore and bypass and avoid God. And God is saying, you could try to avoid me, but I will never avoid you. And I'm looking for you. These are defining moments. She understood that there was a defining moment in her life right there, right now. She stayed in the conversation. The second thing is she recognized that she needed a change. What did she say? She said, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. And then she says this, or have to come here to draw water. She she realized, I don't need to be doing this no more with this water. I need a change. Could you recognize that you've tried different things and the only one that can quench your thirst is God? Can you recognize that? Can you recognize that you need a change, that you've tried different things in your own life and it just hasn't worked out? Surrender yourself to the Lord. Surrender yourself to his will. And for those of you who think that this is just an evangelism message or a gospel message, that's not true. The gospel is for all of us, even those that have been saved, because the gospel continually transforms my life daily. And every single day I have to check myself and realize what God is doing. And a story like this reminds me that I need change. A story like this reminds me that I need to encounter God. A story like this reminds me that God is continually pursuing me. And what impact does that have in life is when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry, when I'm confused, when I want to give up, when I do not know how to move left or right, when I'm just irritated, when I don't want to deal with people. Whatever the situation may be, I am reminded that Everything that I am going through is only because God has a divine assignment for my life. And one way or another, he uses every circumstance to shape me and coordinate my situation and guide me in the presence of God and and bring me closer to his to his will. and, And for me to surrender myself to his presence. And lastly, how does she respond? She embraced it. She accepted it. And then she went and told everybody else. She just went and did her work. And one verse later on, actually, it's right here in verse 42. She was, like I mentioned earlier, Samaritans don't talk to Jews. But in her ministry, 
She, got, she received it. She went back, talked to the Samaritans. And one way or another, the Samaritans heard. And, and not only did they hear, they believe. And this is what verse 42 says. We no longer believe just because of what you said. He's talk, they're talking about the woman now. We no longer believe because you did your thing. He says, now we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I want you to know, wherever you're at, Christ is the only solution. And I know you may think you know that, but there's a difference between embracing. See, Jesus, that's, the Bible says that Satan, the demons believe in God and they tremble at his presence. So just belief is not enough. Just want you to know, Satan believe in God. So you can say, I believe in God. That's okay. I, you know, don't judge me. I believe in Jesus. Well, guess what? It's not enough to believe you have to surrender. You have to let his will happen. You need to open your hearts and your soul. And you need to tell God, God, you take control of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. I want to I pray with you. Just give me one quick second. Jesus. If somebody in here has not accepted Christ and is watching us right now, Holy Spirit, touch their hearts and change their life. If you want to accept Jesus, hey, let me know by texting fill me to 9700 and we will love on you, care for you and praying for you. In Jesus name, stay tuned to the announcements and they will give you more direction. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc slash T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.